Hey, children, this is a good one. Um, there's a big battle uh, in today's reading, and there's a man on a hill, and if they look to him, the people fighting below, they start to win. And if they don't look to him, they don't win. Now, what's going on there? Isn't that an interesting one? And there's a man on the floor called Yeshua, who's fighting people, and he wins for them. It's going to be interesting, this one, what's going on. Show of hands, adults, or you don't have to, actually, because it's a private thing. Are you often like the church back here in Exodus, and you get shattered in life? What about tired, thirsty, or, or you feel sometimes like you're wandering around like they were? You ever felt that? Where am I going? Or you, you're like sick about like your own sins in your life and you're weary about that because you've let God down or other people. You ever feel like that? That's what they were going through. And you have to fight on and you feel like grumbling. Is that you? That's certainly me. Monday mornings usually. Um, and something terrible happens to the church here when they're down and they're wandering. And in verse 8, Paul read, the Amalekites came and attacked them. When they're really thirsty and in a bad mood and down in the dumps, someone comes and attacks them. So it's a bad day for the church. And the people that attacked them, children, you'll find this out. If you start following Jesus, people in school, they might make fun of you. Well, these people who attack the church in this story, they hate church. They hate the Messiah. They hate the living God. Interestingly enough, there's a lady speaking in a church nearby here next week about how her parents were killed, or definitely one of her parents were killed for being Christians. And she's going to talk about how God has kept her in that difficult time. It happens now. People being bullied, being killed, attacked in Afghanistan at the moment. Christians, like back then, are getting attacked because they love the living God. And follow him. And sometimes they'll paint N on the doors of Christians for Nazarenes. People who follow Jesus, the Nazarene. So then people can come and target them and be nasty to them. It's a tough world out there for Christians, children, and adults. But the Lord never lets his church get defeated. He doesn't do that and he never will. He never has done and he never will. Why? Because we are part of church. And church is God's rescue plan for planet earth. God loves to save people, angry people, letdowns, failures. He loves saving those people and they get saved in church where they hear about Jesus. And church wins here as well. And one day church will win in Afghanistan and in Cardiff and Wales. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And there is no way that God the Father is going to let the church of Jesus go out. Never. Because he loves to rescue people. This week I've seen how much people need the light. I've read about businesses which are corrupt because they want more money and they mistreat people. I read a quote and it says this, A salary is the drug they give you to forget your dreams. And I've seen businesses fall into the trap that there's nothing more than money. And they've led to darkness and corruption. They need the light. I've seen people this week who need the light because they're beating other people up at petrol stations. Because they won't share the petrol. Me first, no matter what. And God's called to love Him and love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. They're not doing it. 
It's the same with the Amalekites back then. We don't want God's way. God's like, man, my way has got to be. There's no better way. I read a psychologist paper this week. It's really interesting in psychology. Children, you might study it when you're older. It's a subject in school. And there's lots of psychologists at the moment writing books about how special Jesus is. Not all of them are Christians, but they all recognize how special He is as a man. They don't go far enough, some of them, and realize that He was God as well. But they say, as a man, we need His influence. And they say this, why do we value each other as human beings? You ever ask that question? I've been reading lots of academic papers on it. Why do you really value other human beings? Why is it that there are times of war, but really, we want times of peace with other people? And a lot of us get that. We need peace. Why is that? You ever ask that question? What is it about people that we want peace with them? Wow, can you hear that rain? Wow. What is it that stops people from being constantly at war? Well, the psychologists are saying this. Now listen to this. If you value a human, it's because you recognize that they have a divine spark about them, a value about them, more than, say, a cow in a field. And it's like the image of God about them, and ultimately it's what causes you to long for peace. This person is valuable. And if you lose that, that divine spark, and that idea of the person next to you is valuable, You lose everything, and absolute chaos, violence, and hatred breaks out. So it's the image of God and the understanding that we're deeply valuable, innately value, whoever we are, black, white, whatever, um, poor, rich, we're valued. And then they ask, well, where does that value come from? That idea that we're so valuable And the psychologists are moving towards, where does it come from? Or they ask, what does it look like fully? When it's not broken by sin, and when we're not fighting and squabbling, what does it look like fully, that value? And they all go, Jesus! That is the like archetype and image of the human being. Jesus. How good He is. How wonderful. He's like the fully visible version of what we all want to be if we were only without sin. And he's the reason for goodwill between us because of what we could be together. The Christ. Nothing binds us outside of him. And then so no love can truly exist without him, the archetypal person that we all want each other to be. And then the Christians saying that, they're finally catching up to the Bible. So if Jesus and church is God's rescue plan for planet earth, what happens when the Amalekites come and try and wipe out the church, the rescue plan? Well, Paul read, um, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it because I am going to blot out the name of Amalek from heaven. And you're like, wow, that's pretty like big stuff. If you read Deuteronomy 25 after your lunch today, you'll also see why, because they remember this incident. Remember what the Amalekites did to you. You were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all my people who were lagging behind. Behind. 
They had no fear of God. So God is livid with the Amalekites because they attack church. And not just attack church, they go and pick off the really weary people at the back. Because they had no fear of God. Which is what the psychologists are saying. Without Jesus and that stuff, everything collapses and you start mistreating everybody. And God's like, that is it. That is worthy of judgment. So, church is called to have a fight with the Amalekites. Because of what they've done. They've just been freed from slavery. They're on the way to the promised land. And they're called to fight. And how, ladies and gentlemen, does church win? And why does it matter for everybody gathered here today, whether we're really young or not so young? Well, Exodus 17 says this. Moses said to Joshua, Some of our men are going to go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will... Now picture this, children. I will stand on top of a hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses went on the top of the hill, and as Moses held up his hands, the ancient church, the Israelites, started winning. So here's a summary. Count the pointers towards Jesus for church to keep going. In difficult days, tired, weary, sinful, being attacked, the enemies of the church are defeated when Moses stands on a hill with his arms outstretched with two people either side of him. Isn't that an interesting picture for the church to be focused on? Look up in my difficult day. There's a man on a hill with his arms stretched out with wood between them with two men on either side. Oh, and not just that, look there, because there's a man called Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, in the original language, we've translated it into Joshua, which means Savior. Oh, he's doing the fighting for us. How many pictures of Jesus? One up there, there's someone up there looking quite weak, but we're getting power from him. And there's someone down here called Jesus, winning. When that's happening and that's happening, can't escape it, can you? A man on a hill. Now, this isn't the original, but here is the staff of Moses. Just in case you don't get the picture, children, there's a man on a hill with two people either side. He's probably, he's probably like that, is he? A bit like that. Maybe if he's tired, maybe out here a bit, and maybe they go there sometimes. And Do you see the wood? And Maybe he's about there. Do you see the picture? Is it clear? And that brings victory to the church. And it brings them safely through the enemy assault to the promised land. Up on that hill. Ladies and gentlemen, those who are weary, tired, sick, worried, full of sin. The sign of the cross has been held above the church army from then until now and forevermore. And that is our hope. And if you're not a Christian, that's the hope that you need to have. A man on a hill and power flows out of him when we look to him and we can face another day. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He dying for me. That weak man there, he's there for me and I'm getting power from him. And just another reminder, he's here with me too. There's Jesus there and he's up there and I can't escape this message. I'm getting it. Eyes on Jesus from the youngest to the oldest. Why in church do I never teach the message of Disney? 
Because Disney is, you've always got to look inside yourself and bring out the real hero within. Why is M people's song, you've got to search for the hero inside yourself, quite depressing sometimes on a Monday? Because we're all over the place as people. The Amalekites didn't realize it, that true strength's not from within, it's looking to the man on a hill. And that is why all of us really, sorry to offend you, we're all nobodies, we're all over the place. But we're here to tell everybody about a somebody. And it's not us, it's not the Disney message, it's him up there on the hill, where the power comes from. That's why each week I stand here and I get to say, come ye sinners, come ye who are weak, wounded, neglected, abused, poor, failures, short-tempered, gossips, we're not looking within here to face another week and to get to the promised land of heaven. We're aligning ourselves with that man up there who's aligning himself with us. He looks weak for me because I'm weak. He's going to save me. And he gathers up those people and he makes them blessed and calls them holy and says welcome. We look to a, a weak man who looks guilty and under judgment and defeated for people who are guilty and under judgment and defeated. We look like a man who's dying because of sin. And we look to him for people who are dying because they've got sin. And we say, man, he's with me in my worries. Even now, he's still there on that tree for me. What a savior. Now, the apostle Paul copied Moses all the time. And lo and behold, Paul wrote this. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things which are so that no one may boast before each other. Paul also said this, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, my sins, my letdowns, because that is when he says, Christ's power comes to me, rescues me. And therefore, he says, I delight in my weaknesses. I'm calling everybody today to come to a Savior who loves to save people like us. When is Jesus experienced? Then, now, forever. When we are weak. Jesus modeled that on Calvary. That's how God works powerfully. And he wants you, just as you are today, to join him and his church. Now let me drill this home as we wrap it all up. There's a church in the New Testament, and some really clever, smart, um, boastful people try and take it over. And the Apostle Paul's there, and the people start thinking, hang on, who's God with? Paul, you, or these new fancy people there? What's the Christian message? Who's God with? Where's the power? Like, where's the hope? What's the message? And the problem were the boastful people, they weren't like Jesus who died on a tree in weakness for people. They were super strong. Like, what's the proof? And they were saying, Paul, you've got too many problems. You're too weak. We're not going with you anymore. Now, you may like X Factor. If uh, the new people that came in, the new leaders, they're called super apostles, they would win X Factor. Good looking, can play everything, knows everything, and the temptation is follow them. 
Poor old Apostle Paul. I mean, he's out in round one of the X factor. Three X's, you're out. Apparently, according to other sources, Paul had, uh, he was wobbly on his feet. You wobbly on your feet? Uh, bandy legs, terrible inflammations of the eyes, infected. <laughs> um, in the Bible, it says he's deeply sinful. He, he even killed Christians. And um, he says, I'm the worst of the apostles. So there he is. Who are you going to follow? What's the message? What's church about? And then Paul responds to them. Actually, uh, he is with me. He's not with you. You're like the Amalekites. You're too strong. You're too up yourself. You haven't quite got it. He's with me. And now I'm going to boast back. And everyone's like, this is two Corinthians, by the way. What's he going to boast about? And then he goes, oh yeah, I'm just full of weakness. No, no, I'm just full of weakness. Um, I've worked hard, but actually I got beaten up. I got thrown in prison. I've been whipped. I've been robbed. They were going to arrest me, but I had to get lowered out the back of a window one time um, in a basket and smuggled out. In fact, since I've met Jesus, all my problems have begun. Actually, I've got a thorn in my flesh, which could have been a person who was really annoying to him, or it could be his eye problem. We don't really know. And then he's like, and by the way, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me in that. I don't have to sort that stuff out to get the power. He's with me in that weakness. So my friends, do you have problems? Are you waiting for them to end before you can really know God and rest in Him and follow Him? You haven't quite got it. Here's the Apostle Paul building on this story with Moses. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So, you want to be the friend of God. You want to be useful for His kingdom. Some of you are bright. And that's not why you're valued. Some of you are eloquent. And that's not why you're valued. And that's not why the church won this fight. Some of you are really talented and you've got a lot of drive and motivation. That's not why God values you, children. You might be really good at sports. That's not why God values you. Some of you are wonderful with children or cooking. I know those things are good and we should use them for each other, but that is not what your value is dependent upon. There's a Lamborghini on the way to this church. Bright orange. Have you seen it? Turbocharged. God is not calling us to be turbocharged, souped-up humans before we can really know God and be useful and part of His church. God takes the turbo out of people and says, now I'm going to start working with you where you are at. I don't know why churches do evangelist events and they always ask a famous footballer or a famous rugby player to come and speak. Do you want to know my favorite meetings? Broken people. Sharing about how wonderful God is in their lives. Give me Pete the Butcher, whose wife died in a car crash 10 years ago. He's full of doubts. He's got questions, but boy, does he say, God is still holding me together just. I want to hear Pete the Butcher more than the footballers. So sinners, come to Christ and live. And this week, we follow that man and that principle. God hung himself on a Roman plank of wood to save people who hate him. That means everything's distant, different now. To be weak is to be strong in church. If you're serving, you're leading. To look to number one is to lose number one. To lose number one is to save number one. To be dependent like a child is to be 
mature. And that is the message of this as they look to that man on a hill. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.